Hi, Lloyd. A little slow tonight, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is, Mr. Torrance. What will it be? I'm awfully glad you asked me that, Lloyd. Because I just happen to have two 20s and two 10s right here in my wallet. I was afraid they were going to be there till next April. So here's what. You slip me a bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. You can do that, can't you, Lloyd? You're not too busy, are you? <laughs> no, sir. Not busy at all. Good man. You set him up and I'll knock him back, Lloyd. One by one. Welcome to the Bourbon and Branch Podcast, a place where movie snacks are aged in charred oaken barrels. I'm your host, Sean. And I want to thank everyone for joining me on this weekly journey of that fine American spirit invented in Kentucky. Today is Sunday, March 11th, 2018. And today's boozy snack is a special Battle of the Bonds edition, where I'll do a blind taste test of four different bottled and bond bourbons and reveal which one I think is the best. I'm super excited about this episode because I love everything about bonded bourbon, the history, quality, and value, to name a few. Now it's time for some Bourbon 101. Battle of the Bonds. No, this isn't a debate about which actor was the best James Bond. The answer is always Sean Connery. This is a battle of bonded bourbons. March 3rd was the 121st anniversary of the 1897 Bottled and Bond Act. The Bottled and Bond Act is a set of legal standards enacted by the United States government in reaction to the widespread adulteration of spirits across the country during the late 19th century. The Bottled and Bond Act made the U.S. government the guarantor of a spirit's authenticity, gave producers a tax incentive for, for participating, and helped ensure proper accounting and the eventual collection of the tax that was due. While the regulations apply to all spirits in practice, most bonded spirits are whiskeys. To be labeled as bottled and bond, or bonded, the liquor must be the product of one distillation season, January to June or July through December, and one distiller at one distillery. It must have been aged in a federally bonded warehouse under U.S. government supervision for at least four years and bottled at 100 U.S. proof, 50% alcohol by volume. The bottled products label must identify the distillery where it was distilled and, if different, where it was bottled. Only spirits produced in the United States may be designated as bond. One purpose of the Bottled and Bond Act was to create a standard of quality for bourbon whiskey. Prior to the Act's passage, much of the whiskey sold as straight whiskey was anything but. So much of it was adulterated out of greed, flavored and colored with iodine, tobacco, and other substances that some perceived a need for verifiable quality and assurance. While bonded bourbon is not as common in the marketplace as it once was, Consumers still purchase and enjoy several brands and types of both bourbon and whiskey that still follow the bottled and bond standards. It's not always the case, but most bonded bourbons will be of higher quality and value than similarly priced bourbons without this seal of approval. Today's bottled and bond lineup will consist of Jim Beam Bonded, Very Old Barton Bottled and Bond, Old Granddad Bonded, and Henry McKenna Tenure Bottled and Bond. I'll taste and review all these later in the episode, but now it's time for the latest bourbon news. Could the EU be preparing bourbon tariffs? 
This week, President Trump said the U.S. government will impose a 25% import duty on steel and a 10% duty on aluminum from the EU. The president said such imports threaten national security, but the EU has responded by claiming the U.S. is instead seeking to impose protectionist trade measures. The EU has said that both steel and aluminum are suffering from global overcapacity caused by non-market-based production. The EU has proposed counter-restrictions. EU officials had previously suggested that such measures could affect agri agricultural products from the U.S., including American whiskey and bourbon. The U.S. drinks industry hit out at the suggestion warning that such action would harm consumers and producers alike. Last year, when Trump launched an inquiry into steel imports, the Stilled Spirits Council said U.S. and EU spirits exporters have enjoyed duty-free access to each other's markets for more than two decades, which has greatly benefited both spirits producers and consumers and resulted in increased exports, jobs, and consumer choice. Members of the Distilled Spirits Council have made considerable investments in both the U.S. and the EU to create complementary product portfolios comprised of both domestic and imported brands. U.S. whiskeys are an important component of these investment strategies and brand portfolios. Any efforts to impose retaliatory tariffs on U.S. spirits exports to the EU will harm consumers, producers, and the U.S. and EU spirit sectors. U.S. Distillery Creates First Coffee Bean Rested Bourbon the Stillhouse Spirits Company has created the first bourbon-rested and roasted small-batch coffee beans, which will go on sale later this month. Stillhouse Black Bourbon has been matured in new American oak barrels before being filtered through charcoal, then rested and mellowed in small-batch coffee beans. The whiskey is described as having aromas of caramel and coffee, a balanced body on the palate, and a smooth finish. Bottled at 80 proof, Stillhouse Black Bourbon is packaged in a matte black can with a heavy-duty still cap. It will be available in select U.S. markets in either 750ml or 375ml cans for a retail price of $29.95 and $19.95 respectively. Brad Beckerman founded the Stillhouse Spirits Company in 2016 and was later joined by investing partner and co-creative director G-Eazy, a multi-platinum rapper and producer. G-Eazy said, Working closely with Brad and the Stillhouse team has been such a dope experience. And as a whiskey enthusiast, I'm excited to introduce Stillhouse Black Bourbon. If there's one thing I love as much as bourbon, it's coffee. And I can confidently say that our bourbon is unlike anything else on the planet. We have reinvented the idea of what bourbon should be, and I can't wait for all of my fellow bourbon drinkers to experience it. Rebel Yell unveils 2018 Single Barrel Bourbon. Rebel Yell Kentucky Straight Bourbon has launched the 2018 iteration of its single barrel expression. Bottled at 100 proof, Rebel Yell Single Barrel 2018 has been matured for 10 years in charred oak barrels. Each barrel is transferred to bottle by hand, with each bottle detailing the barrel number and the date it was filled into casks. The 2018 release is available in most U.S. states for a retail price of $59.99 per 750ml bottle. A total of 2,009 liter cases have been released. Aging the bourbon for 10 years really brings out the sweetness, oakiness, and caramel and vanilla notes, said John Rimpey, head distiller at parent company Lux Road Distillers. Every barrel is different and has its own unique flavor profile, creating a new experience for consumers with every bottle. Now for some bourbon history. E.H. Taylor Jr. Perhaps the most remarkable man to enter the whiskey industry during the post-Civil War years was Colonel Edmund Haynes Taylor Jr., who was born in Columbia, Kentucky in 1832. 
He was a grandnephew of General Zachary Taylor, whose aide told the Mexicans at a ticklish moment, General Taylor never surrenders. A declaration which was molded into many a whiskey flask and did the old general no harm in a successful campaign to become President of the United States. Colonel Taylor was a man of education and cultivation, plus all the Taylor grit and stubbornness. He represented a sharp break with the tradition of his distilling as a simple manufacturing operation. Taylor had the instincts of the merchandiser. To modern eyes, he would have looked quaint enough sitting at his roll-top desk clad in formal striped trousers wearing a high silk hat and disposable white lawn string ties. Taylor was actually an early example of the professional executive. He was able to project himself into all phases of business, production, finance, sales, promotion, and beyond that to render important services to the industry. Taylor placed the emphasis upon pure goods and made his old Taylor Hermitage OFC, the initials for Old Fire Copper, and Carlisle Brands a standard of bourbon quality, his barrels commanding about 20 cents more on the gallon than other whiskeys, and every tumbler full of the old center which emerged from the Taylor warehouses had a beautiful bouquet about its person and was sold long before it was released. The colonel had a firm hold in the concept of the uniform product and the consumer package. Taylor labored long and fruitfully for the passage of the Bottled and Bond Act, which would compel the seller to the state on the label what was in the bottle. Until the late 1890s, a distiller's brand might be six-year-old whiskey in one locality and three-year-old goods in another, both bearing the same label. A cafe owner or barkeep could purchase a barrel of the best bourbon and do with it as he pleased. Once the proof gallon tax was paid and the barrel withdrawn from the warehouse, the supervision of the whiskey by the federal government ceased. Colonel Taylor was a huge proponent and backer of the Bottled and Bond Act. He lived to be 90 years old and was a bridge between the old ways and the new. Now for some bourbon trivia. Famous whiskey drinkers in history and today. Frank Sinatra. It's a well-known fact that Old Blue Eyes loved Jack Daniels. Hell, he was even buried with a bottle of Old Number 7 when he died in 1998. Last year, Jack Daniels released a bottle in honor of the late singer called Sinatra Select. What greater honor could there be? After all, he did say alcohol may be man's worst enemy, but the Bible says love your enemy. Mark Twain, renowned author of books like The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, funny man and all-around impressive guy, Samuel Langhorne Clemens, better known by his pen name, Mark Twain, had a certain affinity for whiskey. He couldn't get enough of it, once saying, too much of anything is bad, but too much good whiskey is barely enough. Sir Winston Churchill. Moody stars and writers aren't the only ones that know how to put back a hefty glass of whiskey. Even former British Prime Minister Winston Churchill knew that whiskey was the key to a better life, both at home and when he was fighting for his country. He famously said, when I was a young subaltern in the South African War, the water was not fit to drink. To make it palatable, we had to add whiskey. By diligent effort, I learned to like it. Hillary Clinton. The former Secretary of State, Senator, and First Lady is known for her political prowess, but she's also been known to slug whiskey every now and again. In 2008, a Politico reporter caught her downing a shot of Crown Royal at a bar in Crown Point, Indiana. During her 2008 presidential bid, Canadian whiskey, tis tis Miss Clinton, the same year she visited the Maker's Mark Distillery and dipped her own bottle in the famous red wax. Now we're a little jealous. At least it's clear her taste in whiskey is worth voting for. Hunter S. Thompson. Originally from Kentucky, it's no surprise that Thompson's favorite drink was whiskey. 
Wild Turkey beat out Chivas Regal Scotch, Bloody Marys, and gin, coupled with occasional grams of cocaine and prescription medication. It gave me a strange feeling, and the rest of that night I didn't say much, but merely sat there and drank, trying to decide if I was getting older and wiser or just plain old. From the Rum Diary. Now for the part you and mostly I have been waiting for, Battle of the Bonds. Today I'll be doing a blind taste test of four different bottled and bond bourbons that are for the most part widely available and affordable, ranging from $15 to $30 at most retail liquor shops. The four selections include Very Old Barton Bottled and Bond. Very Old Barton Bottled and Bond is a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey distilled by Sazerac, owners of Buffalo Trace, and their Barstown Distillery, the Tom Moore Distillery. It has a mash bill of 75% corn, 15% rye, and 10% malted barley. It retails for around $15. Next up, Jim Beam Bonded. Jim Beam Bonded is one of the latest additions of Jim Beam to come out of the famed Kentucky Distillery. Bonded whiskey has long been synonymous with high quality whiskey and that connection comes from pre-prohibition times when the rules around whiskey were, let's call them, not really there. All manner of things could be passed off as whiskey until the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897 came into play. Jim Beam Bonded has a mash bill of 77% corn, 13% rye, and 10% malted barley. It's aged at least four years, as all bonded bourbons are, as well as standard bonded proof of 100. Next, Old Grandad Bonded. Old Grandad Bonded is one of the best values in bourbon. If you're a fan of Basil Hayden bourbon, then you'll love OGD Bonded. In my opinion, it's the better, cheaper version of Old Grandad's namesake. Yes, the Grandad is none other than Basil Hayden. And his bonded version is delicious and should be in your bourbon rotation, especially if you like the high rye variety. The distiller is Jim Beam as well. It also has a mash bill of 63% corn, 27% rye, and 10% malted barley. It's aged 4 plus years, is 100 proof, and retails for around $21. Henry McKenna 10-Year Single Barrel Bottled and Bond. Sounds a bit more impressive than the others, right? Well, it might be the best bang for the buck of any bourbon on the shelf, including many of the overpriced wannabes we are still guilty of plopping down $50 or $75 for simply the way they look or if they had some story that roped us in. As always, it's what's inside the bottle that counts, and I can attest that what's inside McKenna 10 is the real deal. It's distilled at Heaven Hill, it's aged 10 years, it's 100 proof, the mash bill is 75% corn, 13% rye, and 12% barley. The price is usually around $27 to $30 for a 750 milliliter bottle. And now it's boozy snack time. Felice, the bourbon and branch culinary expert, will graciously set up today's bonded bourbon lineup as I step away so I can sample each one in a blind taste off and pick the overall winner. So, I'm back, and Felice has set up a delicious lineup of bonded bourbons for me to taste. The four bourbons are separated out into samples A, B, C, and D. Felice kept the lineup secret. So, I won't know until the end which bourbon is my favorite, but I'm sure going to have fun sampling each one and giving you guys my thoughts. So, let's start with sample A. So, sample A on the nose, I get mostly butterscotch and caramel. There's a slight bit of vanilla and a slight bit of cherry. There's not much of an alcohol scent to it, more of a light aroma of sweetness. Now for a taste. Wow. On the tongue, that light sweetness from the nose is a lot more intense and complex. There's some heat there in the beginning on the palate, a little more spicy, 
like a higher rye bourbon would be. I'm still getting a little bit of that vanilla, but more of a cinnamon note this time. If I had to take a guess, I'd say this one probably is the old granddad, you know, being the higher rye bourbon that it is. On the second second sip, along with the cinnamon, I get more of a baking spice note. Still that heat. It's not bad. It's not it's not like a lot of heat on the back of the palate like it is in the front. But overall, it's a nice calm complex bourbon that has some heat to it but it's overall pretty smooth and pretty tasty. Now to taste Sample B. So Sample B immediately on the nose I'm picking up more vanilla and even a little bit of banana there. Sort of a banana, uh, almost like a banana bread, banana nut bread on the nose. I'm not getting a lot of other complex aromas from it. It's mainly just that vanilla and the banana. There's a slight bit of butterscotch. I'm gonna say this one is probably going to be the very old Barton bottled in Bond. Now let's give this one a taste. So this one is much smoother on the first part of your palate than it is the back. It's really sweet in the beginning. There's more burn towards the back of the palate. The tasty notes are the same pretty much as the nose. I'm getting a lot of vanilla, a lot of banana. There's a slight bit of oakiness to this one that is, wasn't in the first one. I'm liking B quite a bit. It's got more of a, a pleasant finish to it. It's got some heat, but it's smooth from beginning to end. And overall, it's just a little more sippable than Sample A was. More of a bourbon you could sit back and enjoy, sip on it. Don't get me wrong, Sample A was really good as well, but I think that Sample B so far is taking the lead. Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed Sample A. I just feel like Sample B was a bit more tastier and had a bit more of a sippability factor to it. It just was a tastier overall bourbon than Sample A. So now on to Sample C. So if I was just judging this by the nose, Sample C is taking the lead. There's a lot more going on with Sample C. Not only am I getting the uh, typical baking spice, vanilla, caramel notes, but I'm also picking up a lot of dark fruits, very similar to a sherry or a cognac. I'm going to guess that age is playing a factor in this, and I'll guess that this one is going to be the Henry McKenna 10-year bottled and bond. It just seems so far by the nose that it's the highest quality of the samples I've tried so far. So let's give it a taste and see how that goes. Yeah, that one's tasty. That one is definitely taking the lead so far. The the tasting notes are a lot more complex. It takes you a little bit to kind of like go through in your mind what you're tasting because there's more to it. It's got some heat on the tongue and some heat on the back of the palate, but it's super smooth. I'm getting, like I said, the vanilla, the sweet fruit, the baking spices, they're there, but I'm also getting a nice bit of oak as well as some savory spices, almost like some clove and allspice, even a bit of like leather and tobacco in there. This is really some good stuff. It's very complex, has a great finish, smooth from the beginning to the end. Like I said, I think it's the McKenna 10 year old, but if it ends up being the cheapest of the bunch, which is the very old Barton bottled and bomb, not only will that surprise me, but it might throw a hitch into my whiskey tasting expertise palette, so to speak. Regardless, I'm going to say C is definitely taking the lead. And once I find out what it is, I'm going to share it with you guys. And I'm going to highly recommend you go out and buy yourself a bottle. This is some damn good bourbon. So on to sample D. Hopefully it can live up to sample C. We'll see. So on the nose, sample D, 
I'm really getting banana, which makes me rethink my initial um, prediction of B. I'm thinking now that sample D probably is going to be the very old Barton. I've drank very old Barton, bottled and bond, plenty in the past, and one of my favorite parts about it is the banana nut bread kind of notes you get from it. And I'm definitely getting that on the nose. So let's give, the, give this stuff a taste. Yeah, there's that banana. So, I think I was wrong. B is not the very old Barton. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that D is the very old Barton. Baldwin Bond. It's actually one of my favorite bourbons, especially for the price. It runs about $15 for a 750 milliliter bottle of it. It's kind of hard to find, the bonded version anyway, um, outside of Kentucky. But if you do run across it, I highly recommend it. It's a great bourbon. It's got that... Just it's an overall, it's, it's kind of sweet, it's a little sweeter bourbon, but it's got that banana flavor to it, it's got a little bit of heat. There's some vanilla and oak notes to it. It's, I mean, four or 15 bucks, it's one of the better values that I've come across. I still think C is the front runner as far as the best of the bunch so far, but I would say D is a really close second. So like I said, I think it is very old Barton, Ball and Bond, and I can't wait to find out which is which. And of course, which one ends up being the champion of the bottled and bond taste off? So let's go to that part and find out who comes out on top. So I'm back and I'm a little buzzed. I have enjoyed four really great bottled and bond bourbons, and I'm ready to give you guys the results of the bottled and bond taste off. Felice has graciously provided me the envelope with the selections. So now what everyone's been waiting for, let's find out which bourbon is which and which bourbon comes out on top. So I'm not going to brag, but I was pretty much spot on. A and B a little off, but C and D, I got that. I got that. So A, sample A, was the Jim Beam Bonded. And as I mentioned to you guys, it was probably, not that it was bad, but it was my least favorite bourbon of the bunch. Um, it was a little burny, you know, kind of like had a little more like heat to it. Wasn't quite as smooth as the others. Uh, like I mentioned before, it's not bad, don't get me wrong, but it probably makes a better like um, cocktail type or a mixer type bourbon. Um, it's much tastier than their, uh, their typical Jim Beam white label that you see at every liquor store, at every bar you go to. But overall, I wouldn't say it's a bottle you'd want to run out and purchase right away. I paid about $25 for it, so I kind of think that it's not really quite worth that. There's too many other better tasting, less expensive bourbons out there that you can either sip or you can mix in the cocktails that would probably be a lot better value, a lot better buy. So overall I would say Jim Beam finishes last in the Battle of the Bottled and Bond. Sample B turned out to be Old Granddad Bottled and Bond. I recall it being spicier, which makes sense because it's a high rye bourbon, which if you guys remember, um, that means that the, the mash bill of the bourbon has a little more rye in it than most bourbons do. Rye, spice, rye added to bourbon makes a bourbon more spicier, a little more heat to it, and Old Granddad Bonded definitely has a little more heat than the other ones did. Overall, I'm going to put Old Granddad Bonded um, in third place. Uh, it's, it's a really good bourbon. Um, if, you've, if you like a spicier bourbon with a little more heat, then I highly recommend it. It is a very simple bourbon. 
Um, it could be used both as like just putting into like a Glencairn and enjoying a nice like dram or two or it would hold up really well in a cocktail. Being that it's 100 proof, um, you could probably mix it into anything from an old-fashioned to a Kentucky Mule, and I'm sure it would make a very tasty mixer or sipper. So on to sample C, and sample C, the number one overall, and the favorite of the Battle of the Bonded Bourbons taste off. None other than Henry McKenna, single barrel, bottled and bond, 10-year Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. This was definitely my favorite, and it is one of my go-to bourbons. I highly recommend it for the price, the quality, the taste. It's one of the best bourbons out there. The combination of being a single barrel, bottled and bond, and 10-year aged bourbon is rare these days, especially for a price of around $27 to $30. Henry McKenna 10-year bottled and bond is not super easy to find, but most of your big box liquor stores will carry it. I have a feeling with the way that bourbons nowadays are going with the uh, non-age statement and moving away from having bottled and bond selections out there, that Henry McKenna will either be a lot more hard to find on the shelves or will raise their prices up to probably what it should go for, which is around 50 bucks for a bottle. So I guess what I'm saying is if you can find it out there, grab a few bottles and keep them. If you love bourbon and you haven't already tried Henry McKenna, you're gonna thank me. So I guess since I've already given away that C was the overall winner, it doesn't really make any sense to go and tell you guys what D was, but it did just happen to be the very old Barton Bottled and Bond 100 Proof, which is another one of my favorite bourbons. And if you add in the fact that it costs about $15 for a bottle, a 750 milliliter bottle, it's truly one that anybody who loves bourbon can appreciate. Very Old Barton Bottled and Bond is actually a bourbon that when I see it sitting on the shelves, I'll pick up a few bottles and I have no problem giving this to my friends, my family members, because I know if you like bourbon, you're gonna like this stuff. So to close this taste off out, Henry McKenna 10-year bottled and bond single barrel takes the number one overall seed. Very Old Barton bottled and bond 100 proof comes in second. Old Granddad Bonded comes in third. And bringing up the rear is Jim Beam Bonded. Like I said, it wasn't bad. But for the price, which, I mean, $25 is not a whole lot, but there's so many other better bourbons out there that are, you know, much more tastier, much more sippable. So, Jim Beam, sorry. But your bonded version comes in last place on the first annual Battle of the Bond taste-off on the Bourbon and Branch podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this taste-off challenge of Bottled and Bond bourbons, and I'd really like your feedback. If you've tried these different ones that I sampled today, and you feel like I was wrong, let me know. Or maybe you've got another bonnet bourbon that I haven't tried before. I'd definitely like to know what it is and give it a shot. So guys, that's pretty much gonna do it for this week's episode of the Bourbon and Branch podcast, but I'd like to close out today's show with a few shout outs. These are basically the podcasters that I listen to and inspire me to keep up this weekly bourbon adventure that I call Bourbon and Branch. As always, Tony and Jason at the Vice Lounge Online Podcast, where they like to say casino gaming, premium cigars, and fine adult beverages genuinely equal bliss. Next up is Mark, Karen, and Tony at the 360 Vegas Podcast, a must-listen for anyone who loves the Neon Oasis. And of course, I can't forget Chris 
over at Faces and Aces Las Vegas. A super nice and super cool guy where, as he says, what happens in Vegas ends up on his podcast. I'd also like to throw out a shout to Julian, Shane, and Eric Rosenthal at the Vegas Confessions podcast where they share stories and experiences directly from Sin City. And I can't forget Adam over at the Travel Fanboy Podcast, the podcast for unabashed budget travelers. You should also be following and listening to at Morning Neurosis and her Unwritable Rant podcast. She drinks bourbon, she tells great stories, and she creates a lot of laughs. What else do you want? Finally, don't forget to follow PaintYouUp824 on Twitter and listen to his podcast, Bonkers for Bourbon. The guy gives some great reviews on weekly tasty boozy snacks that everybody will enjoy. Finally, please follow my podcast, Bourbon and Branch, on Twitter. That's at Burb in Branch Pod. B-O-U-R-B, the letter N, Branch, P-O-D. Or on Instagram, at Bourbon, at Burb and Branch. B-O-U-R-B and Branch. Also, join our Facebook group, Bourbon and Branch Podcast. You can also email the show at bourbonandbranchpodcast at gmail.com. And always remember, that there's no wrong way to enjoy bourbon, especially with friends and family sharing stories, laughs, and pours. Cheers.